Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Dear saints, the ascension of our Lord is one of the most important and joyful and comforting days of the church here. In fact, it is as important as Christmas and Good Friday and Easter and every other holiday, every other holy day in the church here. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that it is the culmination of all of these things. This was the point of Christmas. This was the point of Easter. This was the point of it all. Easter itself makes way for the ascension of Christ. Now, I can't, I can't stress how important it is. So, don't let your eyes deceive you or your hearts fool you. That I know you may look around and say, look, if this is so important, well, then where's everybody else? <laughs> uh, where is everyone Uh, We run out of room for Christmas and Easter. We have to pull out chairs, but uh, we can barely get people here for Ascension. So it it can't be that significant. Well, uh, that's a shame, to be honest, uh, because anyone who celebrates the birth, the suffering, the death, the resurrection of Christ um, ought to also celebrate his Ascension. It is that important. Um, so it, it is a shame that maybe this has fallen out of use in the church here. Uh, pastors maybe haven't taught it as they should have, and congregations haven't learned it like they should have. Uh, but the point of this sermon then is to convince you of just how important and joyful and comforting this day is. And that because of this day, because of what happened today, there is nothing uh, that should ever discourage you or uh, that, that, anything that should convince you to fall into despair because of what happened today. Okay, uh, so the first thing, uh, just two major points, but the first thing is that the ascension of our Lord is a major event in the Bible. And again, I can't overemphasize how significant this day is. I know most Christians uh, don't understand the significance, but the Bible authors did. They talked about the ascension maybe more than anything else in the scriptures. If you look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, the epistles, uh, they all talk about the ascension of Christ. They talk about it all of the time, the prophets and the apostles. I'm going to just quote to you a number of verses here. Uh, So just uh, bear with me. Psalm 47 says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. This is a reference to the ascension. He has gone up. Psalm 68 says, Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. God is our salvation. Sing praises to the Lord who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Ascribe power to God whose majesty and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God. Psalm 2 says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Psalm 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So here uh, in all of these Psalms, they're writing about the ascension uh, before it happened, but they're talking about it as if it already happened in the past tense. Isaiah 52 says, Behold, my servant shall prosper, he will prosper. He shall be high and lifted up, and he will be exalted. Hebrews 10 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, then what? He then sat down at the right hand of God, 
waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And then again, Ephesians chapter 2. You guys know this uh, text very well. God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Even that text is talking about the ascension of the Lord. Now, I, I can go on and on about this, but uh, that, that makes the point. Now, you may ask, look, well, what is the point? Why is this so significant? There are many other people who died and went to heaven. Uh, we heard the Old Testament lesson. Elijah was taken into heaven. So what's the difference? The ascension of Christ is different because everyone who is in heaven in the presence of God right now is spirit. God is spirit. The angels are spirit. The saints who have died are spirit. But Jesus is in his flesh still. He is in his body. And so the ascension is an enormous mystery to us that Jesus remains man. Uh, the same flesh that he took on when he was an infant and when he was laid into the manger, the same flesh, the same hands that washed the disciples' feet, that was crucified, that was buried in the tomb, that resurrected, that same body dwells in the presence of all of those who are in heaven, that God is man. And he has elevated our human flesh to the, the heavens, to the highest heavens, above all things. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, there's a, common, see, there's a common misconception among Christians that the incarnation of Jesus was temporary. Like, for example, he, he came down for Christmas, uh, he takes on flesh, and then he just did what he needed to do on earth. And then when he ascends, he just discards the body like he took off a, a coat and hangs it up somewhere and says, okay, I'm done with that. Now I'm back to the real thing. No, it's not that. Uh, it's so significant when John chapter 1 says, and the word became flesh and was made man and dwelt among us. The Bible never says that he unbecame flesh. It never says that he was unmade man, but he remains man. <laughs> um, and this is so significant. I, I was, um, I'll just say this. Uh, there was a student in my class uh, at the seminary who denied this. Uh, he's not a pastor. Uh, he, was, he was removed because he did not uh, he, he denied the fact that Christ is still in his flesh. Um, no, none of the, um, none of the reformers uh, believe that Christ discarded his flesh this way. Uh, now, even more, the angels themselves told the disciples, the same way in which you saw him go, you will also see him return. The same way. Not just in the manner that he comes in the clouds, but in his flesh. Okay, uh, this is remarkable. Now, God not only became man, but he remains man. And so this is a beautiful thought that uh, this means that on the last day, we will see him in his flesh. But the more beautiful thing is that those who have died in the faith even now see Jesus in his flesh. <laughs> they, see, they behold him and they're with him in his body. Uh, so Isri and Everett and Chuck uh, now see Jesus not as a spirit, but as the Lord, as the one who walked on this earth. They, they are with him. They're in, in perfect communion with him. Um, 
And that means that if Jesus stands before the throne of God in his flesh, that you one day will also. And you will not be destroyed. (laughs) You will stand sanctified and justified and joyfully before him. Okay, the second point is this, is that Jesus not only remains in, in, in heaven in his flesh, but he also deigns himself even now to be with us in his flesh, even in the Lord's Supper. Uh, many of you know John Calvin, the Reformed theologian, the father of the Presbyterian Church. Calvin thought that the ascension of the Lord, uh, the, the ascension and the Lord's Supper were antithetical. They were they were uh, against each other. Uh, they were incompatible. So, and this is what he says about the ascension of Jesus and the Lord's Supper. It's a it's a paragraph here, but uh, pay attention. He says, uh, now this is Calvin talking. He says, for though he withdrew his flesh from us. Notice that language. He withdrew his flesh from us and with his body ascended into heaven. He, however, sits at the right hand of the Father. That is, he reigns in power and majesty and the glory of the Father. Then he says, let there be nothing derogatory to the heavenly glory of Christ. This happens whenever he is brought under the corruptible elements of this world. He means bread and wine uh, or is affixed to any earthly thing. Let no property be assigned to his body inconsistent with his human nature. This is done when it is either said to be infinite or made to occupy a variety of places at the same time. (laughs) Okay, I'll explain this in a second. What Calvin is saying, uh, John Calvin is saying here, is what a lot of people imagine. He doesn't deny that Christ is truly physically in his flesh in heaven and that he retains it forever. He admits that. However, what he's saying is this, is that because Jesus has flesh and is in his body in heaven, therefore Christ is then confined to his location. He can only be at one place at one time, just like your body can only be at one place at one time, then therefore Christ can only be at one place at one time. And that means he cannot be at this altar and that altar over there and that altar over there. He cannot be in this bread and that bread. He can't be in this wine. So the whole thing falls apart because Christ is confined to his flesh. He can only, that's where he is. Um. He can do it spiritually, but not physically. And for that reason, the Lord's Supper isn't the Lord's Supper to John Calvin because it can't be his body and his blood because his body limits him to one place at one time. Now, uh, there's a problem with this, and I think you guys are already uh, seeing it. Because even in his earthly life, Jesus had dominion over his body, his flesh. And his body didn't uh, have dominion over him. Jesus walked on water, uh, something that our bodies cannot do. His skin shone like the sun and light poured out from his pores in his body at his transfiguration, something our bodies don't do. When he resurrected, the tomb was empty before they rolled the stone away. The tomb was empty before they rolled the stone away. The the angel rolled the stone and it was empty already. How did that happen? Uh, Jesus already left the tomb while it was closed. Jesus appeared to his disciples, you heard just a few weeks ago. While the doors were closed, he appeared in their midst. Uh, While he's walking uh, with the disciples to Emmaus, uh, he breaks the bread in front of them. And then what does it say? He vanished from their sight. Even more, the ascension itself shows Jesus doing something with his body that 
bodies don't necessarily do. That is ascended to heaven. So here he breaks uh, the laws of buoyancy and when he's walking on water. Uh, he breaks the laws of physics when he walks through walls. He breaks the law of gravity when he ascends. Now, uh, all of this doesn't mean that he didn't have a real true body. It just means that he has dominion over it. So if he can do all these things with his flesh, then why in the world would we say he cannot do this with his flesh again? In the Lord's Supper. Uh, when has he ever been confined by his flesh? Now, there's a hymn that attacks specifically this point. Uh, and the hymn is called, Lord Jesus Christ, You Have Prepared. And it is in the section of the hymnal um, on the Lord's Supper. And it is actually an ascension hymn. <laughs> Listen, and, and it ties the two together. Listen to the words. Uh, so it's, uh, I'm just going to quote for the verses. Listen to this. It says, Although you did, Christ, to heaven ascend, where angel hosts are dwelling, and in your presence they behold your glory all excelling. And though your people shall not see your glory and your majesty till dawns the judgment morning, yet, Savior, you are not confined to any habitation, but you are present even now here with your congregation. Firm as a rock, this truth shall stand unmoved by any daring hand or subtle craft and cunning. We eat this bread and drink this cup, your precious word believing that your true body and your blood, our lips are here receiving. This word remains forever true. All things are possible with you, for you are the Lord Almighty. Though reason cannot understand, yet faith this truth embraces, your body, Lord, is even now at once in many places. I leave to you how this can be. Your word alone suffices me. I trust its truth unfailing. <laughs> this is amazing. It's amazing. Uh, so that uh, this, this was written by a Lutheran. So that Lutherans say, I don't know how this is the case. But he said so, and I trust him, and he is a God who cannot lie. And so if he says it, that while there on the Last Supper, he's in the upper room telling his disciples here, what you are eating while I stand before you, see me with your eyes, what you are eating is my body and my blood, then we trust him, right? So now uh, this is, as I'm getting ready to close, what is the point of all of this? What's the point of, of knowing this? Um, it's great that Jesus can do this, but why? Well, the first thing means this, is that this means there's nothing that can keep him from you. Not heaven, not earth, not reason or physics or any law. There's nothing that can keep him from being with you. No place on the earth you can go that he himself will not go with you. And so when Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, he meant it. He didn't say, I'm partly with you or kind of with you all the way. I am with you entirely all the way. I, my, but the, completely uh, who Christ is. And the second thing is this. Is that if Jesus is not limited by his own flesh or by the laws of physics and biology or the laws of nature, that neither is he limited by anything. That the God who wrote those laws is above them. 
and everything else is under his feet. And that means that he has then control over everything. Over the things that no one else can change, he has control over even that. And so if he says that he is now with you in his body and blood in the Lord's Supper, then you just bend your knee and you say amen. And if he says he forgives you all your sin through his bitter suffering and death, apart from your works by grace alone, then you take your thoughts captive and you bow to the God who cannot lie or deceive you. And if he says then that all things in your life work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose, then you say, no matter how difficult the days may be, yes, it shall be so. And that you trust that even in the most senseless tragedies and sorrows and trials and the most seemingly meaningless things in your life, Christ is accomplishing his holy and gracious will. And so, dear saints, you never have a reason to be anxious or afraid of anything. There is never such a thing as a crisis in your life. For the Christian, there is no crisis because Christ is in control. Because he is on his throne and he is in control of all things. That the God who poured out his, uh, his blood for you on the cross to forgive you your sins is the same one who guides your life. So the God who rules all things does it for your good and your benefit. And he rules and he guides and he sustains and he governs the entire world. And he does it well. He does it exactly as it needs to be, as it should be, according to his plan. So don't worry about a thing, no matter what the world looks like or how it seems or appears like things are going in your life. Jesus is still in control and he rules over you in love. So God bless you this Ascension Day, the day our Lord ascended for you. Because he will let nothing tear you from his hand and he will be with you and shield you and protect you this day and forevermore. To him be honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.